As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. Today's episode of Android's Dungeon. Boy, that D&D sure is old. Too bad they don't make another tabletop RPG setting for me to play. What's that? Oh, there are? There are lots of them? Well, I hope somebody doesn't talk about them for a bit. Stay tuned. Welcome to CFRU 93.3 FM, broadcasting out of the University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario campus. Uh, beginning of the new school year, uh, this is Android's Dungeon, a show about games, mostly board games, some video games, sometimes mind games, the games we play with ourselves, <laughs> which is not intended to be innuendo in any sense of the word, but more of a, you know, I guess it was just supposed to be saying lies we tell ourselves, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, you can check us out on Twitter, Dodge AD Radio, CFRU. Yeah, that'd be a fun game. Um, Instagram, Android Dungeon, CFRU, or Droid Dungeon Radio, blah, 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 blah. So this is the first show of... Has school officially started? No, it's not until next week, right? Oh, tough one. It's Tuesday, so... Yeah, they probably got all those classes that they you know don't go to. I guess like orientation. Do, do they still do orientation, it's orientation week? week? Yeah, some not schools, next a lot week. of schools stop doing orientation week. Really? Yeah. You Why almost went to the welcome students rowdy. Saturday thing, right? Too rowdy. Uh, yeah, I almost went to. That's not much of a story though, because <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't go. But too rowdy. But I, is kind I suppose of a sad they did. They that. did roll up that day, right? Yeah, so I'm going to assume this isn't the first show of the week, but this should be a really good show because theoretically. This, this would be some people's first exposure to... Hey, <laughs> students, welcome to Android's Dungeon, the best show on CFRU. About board games. <laughs> no, Harry, I think Joel was right. It's uh, Just overall. <laughs> if somebody did a ranking of the best shows on CFRU, obviously Android's Dungeon's there. So after that, then you can have the real ranking, because there's no point in putting an obvious contender there. Well, you can't beat end credits. End credits is this number two show. Number one. <laughs> Num- number one after us, <laughs> somehow. <laughs> Uh, that joyous, impish laugh uh, you heard in the background earlier it was Harry Hall. Hello. Welcome back to the show, Harry. Thank welcome you. back. It seems like it's not really a, it's like a welcome guest anymore. More, it seems like you're rotating. You're slowly co-host. becoming host. Good to be back after a week. You're, you're <laughs> a week. You're three for four in the last last <clears throat> month. It's just because Harry's a font of. Um, you know, experiences and count of knowledge. Of experiences. <laughs> some of them are good. Some aren't. Um, Harry, what have you been playing recently? Uh, been playing a couple games of Innis or Inish. Inish. Yeah. Some people say Inish, and it always throws me off because who are you trying to pretend you are? Yeah, a friend of mine who's like, <laughs> you know, like an eighth Celtic, and he's like, yeah, it's it's Inish. Very you gotta say Inish. Great. So, um, spelled I N I S. Yeah. Um, played a few games. Good. Loved it. What player count? Uh, four four players every time, and mm-hmm. I, the game's really intended for four players. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can do three players, and then they provide sketchy rules for two players. I've read, I, I linked Joel this a long time ago for Inish, and it was, some guy swears that two-player Inish, Inish is 
fantastic experience, but you have to know how to play the game. It's really a different well. game. Yeah, yeah, it's totally like, different. It just I've only read the rules. I haven't played two players, but yeah. it seems like totally different than four player. Yeah, but describe Innis for people who don't know the game. Uh, so it's a it's an area control game broadly. So every player has a number of like clans, like their tokens representing like uh, warriors, I guess. Mm-hmm. And there are is like kind of like Catan, if you're familiar with Catan, where you have tiles that represent like land, mm-hmm. and you build a map out of randomized tiles. And your whole point of the game is to to control those tiles with your people. So you have, um, and you primarily do that through actions. So you have, um, I think there are 13 action cards in the game. With four players, what you'll do is you'll set the 13th one aside, and then you draft like card draft the remaining 12 cards. So you will, um, through card drafting, we'll have four cards. You kind of pick a card, then you pass the rest of them, um, and then you get past three cards in return, and you pick more cards, and you end up sculpting a hand. Mm-hmm. And it's my favorite part about the game, actually. It does card drafting really well. You sculpt hands of cards, four cards that work really well together, synergize really well, well supposedly. and you kind of strategize for your turn if you're doing it if you're doing yeah. it well or if you're lucky. Well, what's so. cool about Innis' draft, too, that not a lot of games do when it comes to drafts is that with when you're drafting most of the time it's like you take a card whatever you've got that's yours um within us you could ch- you can swap them out freely almost like you're playing five card stud with your uh, well three card stud i guess in this case with your hand yeah it's a really good way you can you can gamble on a card mm-hmm. and because it pairs well with a second one but if you and then if you see the second one you can keep both if you don't see the second one you can get rid of the card that you had committed to and i think in that way Typical hand drafting games or card drafting games, it it's much harder to build synergy with such a limited card pool. Mm-hmm. It's hard to build some solid three card synergy when you're only drafting four cards. But because you can put the cards back, it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you use those cards to just add people to the board, move them around, add new t- tiles to the board, mm-hmm. and uh, well, that's something yeah. else too. Is that the, the the board itself is kind of unique in that, as opposed to Catan, which I don't want to draw too many comparisons, but just like it, it's a, it feels a lot more dynamic. Even though Catan, it's like okay, I'm randomly going to be dumping these tiles. But with Innis, because the the variety of the tiles is so dramatic that, and that kind of gets into the components of it too. It has this weird sort of I'd say 70s or 60s uh, SF uh, psychedelic art style to the whole game. Where if you look at the because the, they changed the box on us, and I don't know if the new box is crazier or less crazy than the original box. But I it's, think it's less crazy. I, yeah. I mean, they they moved back to a lot of just like. I don't know, classic, like, Celtic-inspired yeah. artwork, I guess. And then you have, like, the Great Deeds cards or the, um, what are the, the Legendary yeah, cards? Yeah. I, I'm, Heroic I'm, Deeds, I can't Heroic remember. Deeds, but they're, like, bonus cards. But it's it reminds me, because it's a Matago published game, and they did Cyclades, and if there are, I think there are a fair amount of comparisons between this and also Comet. Um, Comet's a little more general, just murder everything you see, but... I think Cyclades and Innis have more of this. You've got tons of tools available to you, but like a Swiss Army knife that has 300 pieces, not every piece is going to work for each of your problems. So you don't want to always be cramming dudes against other dudes because that you're not going to win. Um, but you want to strategically be playing these cards, and just like these Epic Deeds cards where it's like, you may look at this card you've got and go, this is garbage, why did I do all this just to get this card? And then, oh, no, wait, there's a specific reason I want to use this at this time, and it turns into this neat sort of balancing game where you're trying to just queue up the perfect move at times. Totally, and it's, it, I think it's really determined by the card draft. Like, yeah. you you don't know what your strategy is going to be. There's three victory conditions, and it's hard to tell which one you're working towards on any given turn until you draft the cards and you mm-hmm. kind of see what happens. The I can't remember exactly. Are, there, are the win conditions area control, all of them? 
Uh, yeah, so the wind conditions are, um, there's a bunch of territories on the map. The wind conditions are that you are present in six territories. You have clans in six territories. Or you are present in territories that have a total of six sanctuaries, which are a building that you can build within your territories. Or if you are ruling over six people's other clans. It's like 666. Yeah. Mm. And you can even, there's, in the game, people complain the game takes too long too, but I think that's another flaw of, it sounds bad, but you're not playing it properly because you can get these heroic deeds tokens. I keep saying heroic deeds, but you get these little tokens basically. Like it's like a little loot because it's the idea is that uh, you did something so cool that people are singing, singing your songs, you? yeah. and those count as like victory points that you're always going to have. It's a so, wild card towards wild any of the victory card, yeah. conditions, which is absurdly powerful. Yeah, uh, and yeah. there are cards that just generate totally. these as well. And then you've got the wizard card, Arthur Geese, which just I think negates somebody else's card, which is always just like a you activated my trap card. Yeah, I won our second game by setting up a victory condition and then having geese to cancel someone else's action and then having another card which lets you return a card to your hand and yeah. I returned geese and then I geesed it again. <laughs> you double geesed him, you geezer. Anyway, so the expansion's coming out. Or I think it might already be out. Uh, I haven't played it yet, but it'd be interesting. It's a bit of a... Have you gotten a game finished? Uh, yes, I have finished okay. a game Because for me, it's like all I've done is... Set that up one the game time. and sadly put it away. Yeah, that was dangerously close to a PAX premiere that one night. <laughs> <laughs> Basically the same energy happening there. But yeah. It's just, I think it's a very inaccessible game. And if you're not playing with people who are, I think it requires more than average um, gameplay knowledge. I'm not and talking maybe, about sure, yeah, just enthusiasm. games. Period. Enthusiasm, especially. <laughs> and honestly, like the four of us learned it together for our first time. Yeah. On the box, it says 60 minutes. Our first game probably took three hours and 15 minutes. Holy Woo! smokes, I'm it impressed. It was incredibly stuck. long. Yeah. Second game, still like 90 minutes, and I don't think we'd ever get shorter than that. I think I think they they really low ball the time. Yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. 60 minutes for two people who played the game a dozen times. Yeah, yeah. But it's, I don't, would you recommend it? Yeah, I would recommend it. I mean, it, it suffers from all the same things that most multiplayer games suffer from, which is that other that, people yeah exactly like <laughs> who, That's what who wins the game is is dependent on a fair amount of randomness and on a fair amount of like king making player mm. interaction mm. where i mean uh chelsea my partner described it as the the people who are have no chance of winning still decide who wins yeah. interesting and, and i think it suffers from that i don't think there's any way to fix it well, like you're saying, it's an inherent flaw in any multiplayer game that, for sure. especially involving me preying on other people, yeah, or, for sure. uh, or maybe Joel. Unless or everybody you. has a chance, unless okay. everyone's kind of playing at the same level, then for somebody's sure. going to be just like in an online game. Just why are you feeding him? Why are you feeding? But him? I mean, the good news, I guess, is that a well-executed strategy. You know, you're <clears> playing <throat> the game, you're you're firing on all cylinders. You you have a strategy, you execute it really well. You still have a very good. You probably, you know, it might be 75% chance to win. Yeah. You still are suffering that 25% is up to luck and based on multiplayer games or multiplayer kind of effect, but yeah. you still have a significant impact over your win rate. Whereas other games <clears throat> don't really have that. Well, but yeah, that's so ignoring, let's say, the, the human randomness, at least it's not just like I chucked some dice and they came up a snake eyes on me a bunch of times and that's that. I, yeah. There's, there's the certain, we've, I think we've t- talked about randomness before in the show and, what's kind of an acceptable amount of randomness versus unacceptable, but it gets into the whole clear claw argument where he won't play against people who don't know what they're doing yeah. because they ruin the game for him. So it's when he's like, well, how do I get better if you won't play with me? You're playing yeah. suboptimally. But, uh, yep, yeah, Ennis, 
Very nice game. I think it's fairly easy to find right now. Uh, I think it was a little difficult for a year or something there. Yeah, I think that they have started selling more copies maybe because of the expansion. Yeah. Uh, they, they produced more. And Shut Up and Sit Down did a video on it too that I think was very positive. So you'd imagine like any video they do of a game where they are, I'd say, 90% positive. Like, why would you not keep stock on it unless there's you don't see a foreseeable bump? But I, come on, they're so yeah. popular. Um, you've played one game? Two games. Two games. Two what games was the second game runtime? Uh, second game, like, 90 minutes or so. That's not bad. So, yeah, more reasonable. I, I don't think it would get shorter than that with four players, but... Do you feel people... Uh, so, you've got a fairly dedicated group. Do you find that the... When you're playing against people repeatedly that um, the the heavier conflict, like area control games, have a different reception versus the more passive-aggressive Euros? Totally. I mean, you, I think, with all games, face a difference in skill level based on how many games you have played. So, I, And I think this is kind of just to do with the game itself. If you took an ultra-competitive game like Root, if you have four people together who are playing Root and three of them have played... 10 games of it and the th other person has played like two yeah it's no fun for the person who's played two because so much of the game is player interaction yeah and the people who win the player interaction are the people who played a lot of games mm -hmm. whereas if you're playing like a euro so much of a euro is like in a lot of ways solitaire or action optimization mm -hmm. and that's fun even if you're not going to win and you that's the I mean? thing about euros is what you were describing earlier about king making everything not really a factor in those yeah well, sure. but how often have you played a game where somebody took an action space and it's like, what? You are not going to win the game, but you're stopping me from winning the game now. <laughs> you didn't need to build that. Well, or something may maybe that. in their own personal world of this tiny little hut they're building, you know, they needed that. Yeah, but I don't know. I guess you could look at the same way, though. In, let's how say, dare you stand before the emperor? Well, yeah, like let's wood. say roots. Somebody <laughs> is just like rolling into a territory. It's like this could, they're not, they don't have a snowball's chance in hell, but they just <laughs> torpedoed my game and they're, yeah. nobody really knows what they're up to. But. Well, I need a little attack it's part of my uh, yeah, yeah, it's dog, dogma or whatever well, that's a little more ex <laughs> explainable but uh, joel what have you been playing recently um well i went camping this weekend uh hit up long point best park in ontario fun country <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if that's controversial I, had to give Harry that because i think he has some different opinions yeah killarney killarney is the best yeah. um <laughs> what, what about algonquin Boo. I mean, it's fine. Um, and it rained. <coughs> when it rains, what do you do? You play games. <laughs> <laughs> so we were in the tent, and we played a lot of quicks, and we played a lot of quacks. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. All right. Well, for those, like, we're going to pretend that because this is students moving in time, we're going to be a little generous, and let's talk about what these games are. What's quicks, Joel? What's quicks, Joel? Uh, Quicks is uh, rollsies, dicies, takesies, umbersies. You can only go either up or down, depending on your color. And then if you get the most numbers, you win. It's a roll and write, right? Roll and write, a roll and fill in. Roll and fill in, yeah. How many games do you think you've played of Quicks? Oh, man. 50-ish. And yeah. you brought it home with your family and they just went crazy, they right? They loved it, yeah. We played seven player for a week-long camp trip. And, uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's... It's so easy to play, so easy to learn, and it's cheap. It's it's a pack of dice and a pad of paper. I think it runs for about 12 to $15. And you blinged yours out with a, um, a laminator, right? Yeah, we laminated some of the sheets so that we would never run out. Well, you've been playing it a lot, so that might be a legit concern for... With, like, dry erase markers? Yeah, because it comes with 50 sheets. What is that if you've got... Uh, who cares? It's a limited number of plays. Yeah. 
now as long as the dry erase markers keep working or we buy new ones, then uh, easy then fix. forever. And it's been worth it, I think. And uh, honestly, play the game, buy the game, quicks. It's a Menza Select, if that matters to you, uh, because it teaches kids about prediction. Really? So, I mean, same with Catan, right? They can know about probabilities I from think, uh, uh, sevens are more probable than twelves. Suburbia. Or it is, I think, a Menza Select game, too, for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it, with that reasoning, Catan should be Menza Select. Yeah. Nice <laughs> probability. <laughs> You've got a custom well, we had, Catan like, board. I'm sure, You're... like, if we played Catan for the first time right now, we'd love it. Absolutely. We'd be all over I had fun when it. I it's first played the fact Catan. that we've played it a hundred thousand times and, and there's so many interpersonal it's been, issues. It's just been replaced so thoroughly yeah. in so many different ways that it, if somebody pulls out Catan, it's like watching an old 50s B-movie that's like you're watching and just kind of like a, a relic of the past as opposed to like, boy, this is some outstanding filmmaking here. It's, yeah. I don't know. I don't hate Catan. I just don't enjoy playing it. <laughs> Fair enough. And the other game we played, which we've already talked a lot about, is Quacks of Quedlinburg, which was the 2018 Kenner Spiel DR, and is a great little uh, push-your-luck-slash-build-your-luck, uh, which ex- the expansion is out, and it's, again, unavailable. Uh, speaking of, you know, deliberately limiting stock, <laughs> I don't know what's going on, why they thought that this game, that one game of the year, wasn't going to have a popular expansion, but they just don't have enough in print. It's, so, all, it's all a ploy. Yeah, exactly. They build up and drive It's true. <laughs> all if, those if lines that sold out. People want it, right? I mean, uh, every game that I can think of that has sold out has had incredible amount of buzz. I don't know yep. if that's causation or the causation is the other way around. Mm-hmm. Right. If I make a game, I'm only printing ten copies <laughs> first. <laughs> Everyone, it'll be number one on BGG Hot Games. <laughs> Well, the tapestry stuff is hitting, like, the hype levels are crazy. Because I watched a video on the weekend of Rado doing his top 20 games of August. And um, tapestry wasn't in the top 10, but it was up there. And he has a prototype, and there's an embargo on even talking about it, I guess. <laughs> like, specifically until, uh, I don't know if it's September sometime to actually. But it, we go from Wingspan to tapestry is going to be impossible to find. Guaranteed. Yep. There's no question about it. And can you even get, what, what's Vidiculture's status these days? Because wasn't somebody looking for a copy of that and they couldn't get one? Oh, this might interest you. There was a, a blog post yesterday. Uh, no, uh, Isaac Childress was in an interview and uh, kind of dropped a bomb on the guy that, uh, uh, for Gloomhaven 2. Gloomhaven 2? Or That's what they're calling it. But when I looked it up, it, it doesn't look like it's a standalone. <laughs> it's probably just another expansion. Oh, okay. Yeah. That'd, that'd be a lot but more. But it could be a big expansion, right? Like the game yeah. again. <laughs> add, add some more hours to the game. That's yeah. great. For those, for those that have finished yes. it. Yeah. Uh, Harry has. Not even close. Uh, all right. So Quacks of Quidlinburg and Quicks. Double yep. Qs, which is kind of Quicks weird. and Quacks. Yeah, it was a pretty good uh, weekend. And both those games, super easy to teach to people that aren't enthusiastic about games, and that's kind of the situation we're in. Quacks kind of a pain to play outside, isn't it? Uh, well, it wasn't raining at the time. Yeah. What about you, Johnny? Um, <clears throat> board games have been light lately. Haven't had time. Um, the only board game I got to play was... Kale and I played two-player Viticulture on Monday after mm. we finished toiling, and... I was sitting there and I'm playing it. And it's fine, and it, it occurred to me I don't know if I like Viticulture anymore. <laughs> I'm just like, is this Tuscany? And with Tuscany, and it, it's like it's a fine game, but I think it's just it's too basic for my liking. There's just <laughs> it feels kind of like maybe someone can't call it a medium euro, but not even close anymore. I'm calling it light, 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 <laughs> light, 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 light. 
and uh, it's still a cute game for people who don't know. Viticulture is a stonemaier game where you're sitting in uh, Italy and you're building your own little vineyard and you're making wine, you're selling wine, and you're you're navigating around through the seasons. It's a very pretty game. The theme is spot on. Um, and if you're new to the the hobby, I would say give it a shot and buy it because it's a great little game. But I think after you've played enough games, it occurred to me at one point when I was sitting there, Kel and I weren't talking at all, and I was just doing stuff, and I didn't feel like things were really doing much. And it hit me like, I I need more player interaction in my in my games. I think at this point because hmm. multiplayer solitaire only goes so far, and Viddy is sort of turned into that in my mind. Or at least like more randomness or like strategy differentiation. Strategy differentiation because the randomness is there because we've talked about this so many times on the show. But the amount of car, the card drawn Viddy culture is totally it's irresponsible. <laughs> I think there at this point. It, it, you cannot put something like that in a game. I think you get chewed alive for it. Because the same problem as um, Terraforming Mars, as far as I'm concerned, where just these unseated decks of random events that might be great, might be bad, or who cares. Yeah. And totally different <clears throat> like different in power level, too. Yes, right? absolutely. So Not Kayla, equal power level, that sucks. Yeah, ex- so Kayla had kept drawing these visitor cards that allowed her to build all these uh, structures at s- s- hilarious discounts. And I'm sitting there, like, selling my shirt off my back, trying to afford some of these things. It's like, I already sold my field. I'm already giving tours. I'm doing all I can here. Did you go straight to cottage? No, I didn't do a cottage, because in Tuscany, cottage isn't as good. You only get one card. In base game, cottage is busted, because you're just getting two of these ridiculous cards every time. But um, in the end, it was a... Who won? I won by one point, just based off Oof. of stars, because uh, she ended the game oh, early yeah, on in the region order. stars, yeah. and then the region stars, and no, we, I won on money. It was tied, and then it came down to dollars, oh, wow. two bucks more, which is I've, I've never seen Oof, between yeah. us. So, but anyway, it was um, it's a fine game. It's base Tuscany or base viticulture. It, it's lighter than light. It is a feather, as far as I'm concerned. Tuscany adds just enough variety to push it into tolerable re- range, but I don't think I can play it anymore. Maybe we've hmm. just. We've, I've evolved beyond. He's too, he's too cool for Viddy. <laughs> it's it's a still a fun game. It's just the question is, and this is com- becoming more and more for us, is um, or I, I think we were sort of talking about this, is that if so, somebody comes over and says, I want to play a game, I, I would not put Viddy Culture on the table, I don't think, because I, I think people have more fun with something like Container. For well, example. do you have bottles of wine? That's the question. Bottles of wine. And then, yeah, I didn't have any wine, so maybe it was the problem. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot to wrench some grapes you down. You can't from play Viticulture without wine. <laughs> <laughs> Drink it, make it, and sell it's it. We're drinking game. beer, so I guess uh, close-ish. Um, so that's the only board game. I will shill a uh, computer game that came out recently. Uh, you, on console, it's on everything. WoW Classic? No. <laughs> Are you playing WoW Classic? We're going back. No. no. Uh, on the PC, unfortunately, it's it's an Epic Game Store exclusive, So, ah. which is, I still don't get it, don't understand it, but I guess all they want are exclusives, trying to get people in. Uh, but it's a game called Control, and it's from the same com- pub- publisher? Is Remedy the publisher? Anyway, same developer as the Max Payne series, Remedy, and Alan Wake, and there was Quantum Break, I think, semi-recently, who had Bane, or a CIA guy from Dark Knight and uh, Littlefinger from Game of Thrones, and also Iceman from X-Men. But anyway, this game is a third-person action game with some light RPG elements, and you take on the role of this this woman who shows up at this mysterious government office that kind of seems decorated out of the 1960s, in a sense. Um, but it's been... It's, it's basically this office that's designed to investigate 
paranormal objects and objects of power that show up randomly throughout the world. Kind of similar to, you know what the SCP Foundation is? Have you ever heard of this? It's a website where they yeah. invent, so like the, the switchboard that if you play with it, it blows up your ears or something. It's like haunted objects, essentially, okay. or monsters. Uh, so the, imagine a whole government office that operates out of this strange building that exists before and after time. And they're just set up in there. But everything has to be kind of analog because anything with uh, a circuit will explode in there. So it's got this strange aesthetic. Uh, but it's been invaded by this otherworldly force that's kind of like grabbing people and turning them into corrupted monsters then running around. So you've got your gun, which is unlimited ammo, but you've got psychic power. So you feel like L in uh, Stranger Things. You're just whipping stuff up, blasting people with it. But it's got, hands down, the greatest object physics I've ever seen in the game. Hmm. And oh, by that, I mean destructive physics. Like, the first thing I did when I got this gun, you're in this office that's beautifully decorated. Like, textures are incredible. Everything's highly detailed. Immediately turn around just blasting shit. <laughs> but books explode. Tables collapse. Um, paintings fall off of walls in pieces. It, it, everything is so wow. destructible in a satisfying but realistic sense you, when you... If you try to grab an object, but there's nothing that'll like a potted plant or a bench, like chunks of concrete come out of the ground that you whip at people, and oh, cool. it's just so satisfying. So one of my favorite things in games are power fantasies, and so far this is a plus power fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of fun. Is this designed for VR at all? No, it's not first person. I'm sure you could hack it to make it VR, but um, it's got an incredible aesthetic. It's very ominous. I think it's kind of creepy. Um, I saw something where somebody was making a joke about one of the scariest parts of the game is the font they use. It's a very <laughs> ominous sort of, um, I don't want to say Art Deco, but uh, closer to, like, again, 1950s, 1960s government. Like, it's functional sans serif. <laughs> you know there's no serif. They're not playing around. So um, Really neat. And I highly recommend giving it a shot if you're looking for a pure single-player uh, experience that so far seems to be entertaining and the controls are spot on. And if anything, it's too easy. But maybe on a console, it might be a little more difficult because you know that that laser beam precision you get from the mouse and keyboard. But uh, in general, really, really good. So I highly recommend it. Yes. What was it again? Control. Check it out from Remedy Entertainment. Check it on the Epic Game Store. Epic Game Store. Android's Dungeon recommends. Yeah. So far, maybe it'll do a total 180 on me, and it stinks after a certain point. But we only take. $50,000 for our <laughs> recommendation <laughs> badge. That's why we all drove Lamborghinis into the <laughs> office today, just to show us up. So uh, let's take a music break, and when we come back, we're going to discuss tabletop RPG systems and which ones you should do and which ones you should avoid, like the plague, or, you know, just talk about them. So stay tuned. Thank you. 
Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just heard was <clears throat> we have activity on camera number three from Voyage Into Fear by Meteor. Uh, I guess it's based on a movie called Voyage Into Fear or Alien Expedition. I don't know. I can never be sure if they it's like fake movies that they've made soundtracks for or not because I've never heard of the movies, but there are a lot of movies. Oh, well, that girl there. really likes that knife. Covered in, I, guess, I can only assume, raspberry jam. Raspberry jam, and there's nothing suggestive about it whatsoever. <laughs> and there's definitely not, I guess, human flesh peeling away to reveal some sort of robotic interface underneath. It's not 2B. No, not at all, Joel. <laughs> uh, before we left, we were talking about <clears throat> a boot tabletop RPGs. So let's, before we get right into it, Harry, how would you define a tabletop RPG? Oh boy, that's a tough question. Uh it is, I guess, a system for which a group of people will sit down at a table, play pretend, analog, <laughs> imagine, yeah, and like, and I guess, exist in a fictional environment and interact with it in different ways, like really loosely, because tabletop RPGs don't always have combat. No, like they're generally, you know, a, a fantasy world, I guess, or if you like a cyberpunk or some kind of fictional like uh speculative fiction world yeah and it's just a setting and you have players in the setting and they're interacting with it and doing different stuff and then usually like for most settings or for most systems there is a a, a manager like a game master dungeon master whatever you want to call it who is running it does it need rules yeah i mean there needs to be some basic level of rules yeah, I agree. otherwise you're just sitting around telling stories yeah which that, I mean, there are games agree that's for that. Lame. I was gonna say, there's got to be a game there's, for that. I think Fairy Tale is one of those games where you, um, you try to continue a story by getting prompts from cards. Oh, uh, interesting. Is that a party game? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's storytelling games. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm I'm feeling a little, little nervous about hate, that already. I hate it. <laughs> I'm just not. It's not my thing. Just like you have the you got one or two people know what they're doing. Give the rest me some meatballs. And, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna put this guy on here. You can't tell your story anymore. And anyway, so yeah, I guess one of the <clears> things <throat> about tabletop top RPGs is is the varying degree of of presence of something physical. So you can have figures, or you can just be describing. Things. Totally. I mean, everyone's heard about Dungeons and Dragons, the classic tabletop RPG. Most people who play Dungeons and Dragons at least have figures to represent their characters. Yep. It's very combat focused. I think a lot of people play with grid based maps. Usually there's scenes and grids. Some people don't have grids. Yeah, but... some people do a little more freeform. But yeah. at least you like play on a table and you move your characters around the table and you have like things to represent enemies and you like fight them. Yeah. Other ones you can they're just a lot more present only in your minds. <laughs> Theater of the mind. <laughs> All right, so let's go. That's pretty good, Harry. Thank so, you. So I don't know if you guys have ever watched any of their videos, but there's a show or sort of a, a group of people that have put together content and thrown it up on YouTube. Uh, it's called Dicebreaker. Mm. And they're not very old. I think they were started in May of this year. And their views are somewhere around the 50,000 range. They're not very high. Hey, that's pretty decent, I think. <laughs> and the only reason I know them is because there's this British, uh, fairly popular dungeon master who has a show and also just does a lot of sort of live events in the U.K., and so I've watched a few of his things, and I think I was going down one of those YouTube paths where it was like uh, the hidden lore of the Abolith in D&D and this and that. And What's all an Abolith? Uh, it's like this ancient uh, fish thing. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> cool. I don't want to get into it. <laughs> they once ruled the universe, Jack. All right, before fine. Before land. And, and <laughs> I already regret asking. Yeah, and then, you know, it, it passes into the next video, and the next video was uh, 10 alternatives to Dungeons & Dragons, and I thought, mm, that's kind of cool. So I checked them out. Um, so this is a YouTube autoplay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I wrote the list down. Because, I mean, somebody somebody put in a comment to say what time signature <clears throat> each one starts at, which was nice of them. So let's start with uh, Blades in the Dark. Have you heard of this? Yeah, Blades in the Dark is pretty, pretty, I'd say, really popular in the last three years. Yeah, it's pretty new, and it looks great. Yeah, it's a pretty small game. Like, Think about rules-wise. if you like being a rogue, Jack. Um, it's a game of rogues, basically. You're uh, the, the you're in a city. The city is surrounded by electric walls filled with ghosts or something. <laughs> <laughs> they really need to add the the ghosts yeah, just to just really get you out. <laughs> and each of the sections of the city is ruled by a different criminal uh, organization. Okay, it's, and, it's all gangs. Yeah, you are a gang. You start in as a little gang, and you you basically you're trying to uh, accomplish heists or, or missions. In which you'll up your popularity, your money, and you start with nothing, which is kind you of You start, cool. yeah. I, I guess to preface this, for people who don't know anything about tab- tabletop role-playing games, we should say that pretty much all of these are in the form of a book, a published book that you yes. buy that tells you how to play and often tells you about a setting in which to play. Crowdfunded on Kickstarter. Oh, Jamie's got it up. <clears throat> uh, 2015 raised $179,000 from 3,900 backers. Yep. Victorian London gothic fiction, Doskoval. Yeah, it's like yeah. Gangs of New York plus magic. Yeah. Hmm, One of the good. things that really caught Decent. my attention was is this kind of cool function in it where let's say you're going up to like a club and you want to get in and there's a guard there. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do something called a, um, what is it when you go like back? A flashback. In, a flashback, exactly. That's what it's called. So there's a flashback function where you can say, okay, so two days ago I came up to this guard and I tried to bribe him. And um, then you roll for it or something. And depending on how well you do, you return to the modern time and that gets incorporated into what's actually happening. Huh. Interesting. Every time you do so, I guess it costs you stress. So it has this whole stress mechanic where your character, it's kind of like a a lot of like a dark roguelike games i guess where you have to worry about like, your mental your character is like mental situation oh, interesting. but mm-hmm. so you build up stress by doing various actions including this flashback mechanic but this flashback mechanic is great because you don't have to plan ahead you don't have to like yeah exactly he was saying that like him and his party in D have spent like entire sessions or three quarters of a session just trying to figure out how they're going to approach a situation and in this one totally or like the classic just... classic D scenario you're like locked in a prison or something, yeah. and it's like, oh, how do you escape from the prison? And in D anD D, you spend like an hour asking your your DM, like, oh, is there a key under the bed? <laughs> a week ago, I planted a key here. <laughs> there, there are twenty two iron bars, and I'll wiggle each of them one by one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas in Blades in the Dark, you'd be like, okay, I'll do a flashback, and in the flashback. I've bribed the prison guard. It's always bribing a guard <laughs> yeah, or something. All we can yeah, think of, yeah, yeah. And he'll or like with flashback, I'll have like filed, you know, some of the, some of the, <laughs> the bars. I'll be thrown into this jail cell. <laughs> totally, yeah. And, and it, it like the you'll do a flashback, and you'll you'll have to kind of 
craft this narrative, but <laughs> it makes it really it. easy yeah. to, cr- to sell it. Like, they, it makes it, yeah. So it, it almost sounds like it streamlines the game and makes it, I don't want to say <clears throat> casualized, but it, it kind of removes this, like you're saying, like these yeah, old groggy right. guys. It's more of a story-oriented. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think, if anything, it makes it easier for the, the dungeon master or game master because in D&D, you'll have a lot of dead ends. Mm-hmm. Like, you'll ask, hey, is this possible? And the answer is no. But in Blades in the Dark, in a lot of ways, everything's possible. Dun, dun, because dun. you can just flash back to it. Well, yeah. I'm just going to read what it says right here. Um, the players are unified around a shared crew or criminal enterprise. Why wouldn't they just call it gang? Is gang not a PC on Wikipedia anymore? <laughs> it's, I don't know. Having its own communal character sheet, which is kind of neat. The crew advances of its own in response to players' abilities to accomplish capers. That's a great word. And gain influence in the underworld, providing a common set of boons. What a strange word. To be invoked by the table. The crew can gain territory, advance in organizational tiers, and gain special abilities, just as the player characters have triggers for gaining advancement based on playing to their character type. That's something yeah. kind of neat. Uh, the it's crew, a lot better than an inspiration point. Yeah, exactly. The crew, too, encourages playing in a style befitting the narrative archetype of the criminal organization that they share. So it's kind of, I don't want to say railroading, but it sounds like it encourages you to behave in a way that... The game is pretty easy. Like, you pick the type of gang that you play, and you're encouraged to go on those kinds of heists. Yeah. When you, you pick your character class, and you gain experience based on, like, mm-hmm. you know, if you're, like, a brute kind of class, you, you gain experience of just, like, demolishing some enemy or something, you yeah. know? Makes sense. It looks int- I'd love to give it a, or at least watch a group play because it of sounds kind of them, interesting. Yeah, I mean, the guy said it was his personal favorite, and I, I was most intrigued. I think probably this was in the top three of the ones I listened to. This could, sorry to interrupt you, Joel. This could be interesting to people because yeah. just based on what I said, Creative Commons licensed system reference document was released in t- December 2017. allows people to use the Forged in the Dark game system for other games. Oh, perfect. So that's, a, that's what's called a um, sort of a common generic yeah. uh, template. Like a flavorless. Yeah, exactly. Edition. What do they call it? Because there's another one coming up where it's a uh, game agnostic system. Game, sorry? Game agnostic system. It's a system that you can just plug a game into. Okay. You can impose kind of a like Do whatever you want with The Unreal it, yeah. Engine, but for RPGs. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so the second one is uh, Symbrome, and I'm not going to talk much about it because I didn't really, it didn't really catch me, but Never it was basically uh, you are sort of low-level creatures in a forest and the forest is terrifying and the forest as they say it is waking up oh no that's kind of ominous and so there's a bunch of like statues around of giant monsters and if you're not careful those giant monsters will wake up and kill you so you don't know anything really about this game beyond the theme but i was trying to figure like what are you trying to do is there like does a dm sit there and come up with a story and the story revolves around this system again it's a book you know it's a it's a fairly thick okay. book of uh, of missions that you can accomplish, and you can be a goblin if you want to be in. No one wants Whatever. to be a goblin. Uh, Deadlands Reloaded looked pretty cool. Zombies. Uh, yeah, cowboys versus zombies, more or less, All or right. com- cowboys and zombies. It's a uh, early eighteen hundreds sort of. Uh, <clears throat> you were in the Wild West, and they called the Weird West because something oh, has yeah. happened. It was real history, and then. Things went off the rails, yeah. and right in about in the middle of the Civil War, a couple of armies that were killed, you know, rose up out of the ground, and spooky. And now you've got um, basically the world is divided. The Confederates and the and the, uh, the U.S. still exist, and you can choose which side you want to fight for. And I guess there's some kind of force out there that's kind of perpetuating perpetuating the war because the more fear there is in the world, the more power they get. All right. 
All right. So another system here. We got cowboys versus zombies. Yeah. Uh, Song of Ice and Fire. I don't think I need to say much about that. It's Game of Thrones. Role playing game. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, this is where the problem is that there's not enough time and we don't have enough experts on this stuff. But like, what makes aside from just the theme of a Song of Ice and Fire, like what makes it special? Because I could take D and D and just like, yeah, yeah, here's the God of Light. Here's the God of the yeah, you could totally and... take the D and D functionality and plug it into. Uh, I think you get to create your own house, sort of like out of nowhere. It's not a, one of the established houses. And sure. You could, uh, in it, just go around, say, work for the Starks and slash at, uh, at Wadlings for the entire campaign. Or you can sit in a council room. Oh, boy. And um, and conduct a war and raise armies. All right. So I guess there's some functions that yeah. don't really work well in D&D. But it is essentially a Game of Thrones-themed... RPG. Okay. Hot War. This one sounded kind of cool. This was a very small book, actually, and it was essentially what if the Cold War got, uh, got thermonuclear. <laughs> it's pronounced nuclear. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, basically, it's, it's like a recent past uh, American. Um, Russia dropped a bunch of nukes on each other and it opened a bunch, bunch of portals and monsters oh. came out. <laughs> cool. Interesting. Okay. And then there's also the risk of uh, of blowing up and that kind of thing. Um, these two got reviewed together, Cyberpunk and Shadowrun, obviously ones you've known. Yeah, pretty classic uh, tabletop games. Yep. So, um, And I guess really popular in other forms, like the Cyberpunk upcoming... 2077 game which is loosely related i think yeah. and then and, and then the shadow run shadow run video games like super popular as well all based on the same yeah. systems and basically they run on gurps have you heard of gurps i've heard of gurps it's Never been a long time since what's, i heard something what, what are gurps <laughs> i don't remember exactly what it stands for but it's uh, basically one of those agnostic systems like i was telling you about so if you are making a star trek themed rpg or something it's gu Oh, yeah. Um, or you want to make one with, I don't know, Gaming, little, puppy, universal little puppies running system. around. Generic uh, universal role-playing system. Exactly. So Cyberpunk uses it. Steve Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> and it is old, and it's been around forever, and it's got, I think, seven versions or something now. Um, and basically what they were saying is Cyberpunk and uh, Netrunner, the, the main differences between the two are do you like magic or Shadowrun? Sorry, because Cyberpunk doesn't really have magic, and and Shadowrun does. It's technological magic. The next one really caught my attention. It is called Ten Candles. You heard of this? <clears throat> I, I swear somebody's talked about it. It yeah, could be Harry. But yeah. You physically set up ten candles, and you have a bowl in the middle. No, and I think you I know. burn stuff. I, I think Stratton said down did a video on ten candles, or someone okay. did. I don't know. Anyway, it's a one. It's a one shot. So we almost played it at Gen Con this year. Actually. Really? Yeah. And then we found out that they couldn't use real candles because it was a safety concern, and we dropped out. <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> so anyway, not to spoil the thing, but you 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 know when you when you come into it that this is going to happen. When you get down to one candle, everybody dies. So there is no winning ten candles, but there uh, the reviews of ten candles are glowing. Like yeah. all the people from other systems <clears throat> and other games. Designers of other games love Ten Candles, and like quite simple too. Like great, great for just like single session. Yeah. Like, doesn't take a lot for the GM to uh, 
figure it out. I think sixteen they, can. <laughs> I know. I don't. It would terrible. It's. Uh, I think. I remember the thing I was reading where is people were getting very emotional. Uh, yeah. Because when you have your character and it's written down on a piece of paper, and then you have a bowl in the center, and then if your character dies or you screw up or something, then it's ritualistically burned in front of everyone. And yeah. it to me, it sounds like. Um, I, I don't Therapy. know <laughs> if it'd be my thing necessarily, but it, like you're saying, isn't it like there's no dice you're chucking? It's all like the the guy who's running it is gonna be the one who's yeah, kind of it's, guiding it's this like experience. Experience. It's all narrative. Yeah. yeah, it's I think part of this new. I don't want to call it a new generation because I'm not that old. Like I, I don't know. Zero prep tabletop storytelling adventure. Yeah, and there are <laughs> yeah, tragic it's, it's horror. Really hip like this. <laughs> there are kind of very low mechanic. Yeah. Um, a lot of them are one-shot, like, single-session games. A lot of them have, like, kind of this psychological or, like, like mental horror kind yeah. of aspect. Um, they're all kind of low on components, easy to learn, um, and they're fun. Like, Yeah, it looks it looks kind of cool. I'd give, I'd play it. I'm gonna go I'd give it a and, shot. And say I'd there's, play there's it. nothing here I would not at least, like, watch <laughs> someone else playing just yeah. to see what it's like, but... It's dark and and probably deals with some emotions. Maybe it's therapeutic for some people. Uh, it looks kind of cool. Um, the next one is The Expanse, which Jack's already upset about and doesn't know anything <laughs> about yet because it was kickstarted in May 2019 after extremely successful series of books and shows. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's one of those things we always come back to is why did you need to kickstart a book? Right, because all these RPG systems are basically a, bat, a book. And uh, Jamie's bringing it up. <laughs> the Expanse RPG. Uh, the Expanse is basically, uh, if you don't know, it's a series of books based off of uh, science fiction. Oh, don't worry. It was once, according to Polygon, <laughs> once a homebrew tabletop RPG. It's going legit. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the interesting story behind The Expanse is that it actually started off as a homebrew RPG. This is before, before the books, books and before the TV now, show. Now, that is some tips right there. Yeah, so actually, The Expanse was a homebrew system, and then based on the stories that they played <laughs> in the homebrew system at home, they are like, these are great stories. That's incredible. And two of them, it, The Expanse books are actually written by two people. They They started writing the books based on their experience playing this homebrew game. So I'm still so confused why they cool. need the kickstart to get the... the uh, I wonder if anybody's ever played D&D and written down what their party did and made a book out of it and it was guaranteed. actually successful. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I'm sure people have written guaranteed. their stories down. Yeah, but. I mean, like, there's nothing about the Expanse RPG to have driven the success of the books. The books exist because they're just really, like... Well-written. Yeah, creative people, yeah. you know? Well, I know uh, Vin Diesel, famed fan of uh, D&D and running car- or driving cars real quick, he he made a movie called, like I think, The Last Witch Hunter or something. I could be mixing that up with a Nicolas Cage flick, but bottom line is D&D, um, D&D, Vin Diesel made a movie based on one of his D&D sessions. Cool. <laughs> so there's a good example of like someone going the next step to <laughs> turn yeah. something into a... That's a, wild. Sure. Anyway, so the, have you played The Expanse? I have not played The Expanse. I don't actually know much about the role-playing game except this, like, fun fact. Yeah. Know? James huh. S.A. Comey's award-winning series it's of science new. fiction novels to the tabletop. So they've got... <laughs> Harry, they're saying it brings it to the tabletop. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess because they haven't published it before, yeah. yeah. And then James S.A. Comey is actually two people. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much the deception going Surprise. on. Surprise. <laughs> that was actually the plot twist at the end of the book. Sunk. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Fast the Expanse. Stunt powered AG, 
E system. I would say the main appeal of the Expanse for people considering it as an RPG is that it's a space theme. Sure. It's Which a, is kind of unusual, at least yeah, in... Sci-fi. It's usually sword and sorcery or something more um, mundane. Yep. Speaking <clears> of <throat> um, sorcery, I guess, um, this one I think is kind of almost on par with Pathfinder, but Call of Cthulhu... I mean, it's been around for uh, 30, maybe 40 years. Really There's seven versions, so it's past D&D for versions. Um, and, yeah, it's, uh, it's incredibly popular. You are uh, detectives going around doing... Uh, 1981. I'm assuming racist things because Lovecraft was really... Uh... That's it. You just go around <laughs> and, like getting upset about people of other color and <laughs> people who are dim-witted and like, yeah. they shouldn't be here. They shouldn't breathe. It's uh, I don't know. I've I, another system that I'd love to play, Call of Cthulhu. But yeah. something that gets me is I, I get worried because for some reason maybe it just seems stuffier than other ones. Where I'm just concerned it'll devolve into too much investigating and somebody laying out clues and things. And it's like, well, why didn't you solve my mystery, yeah, <laughs> investigator? Was clear when I told you that you let met the old lady in the hallway. Or if it's like a really top-down Lovecraftian design that. Because I'm not really familiar with that yeah. kind of realm, I'm not going to get into this game that much. You know what I mean? Oh, so I guess yeah. There's a good example right there: is a theme turning somebody off, and especially something as heavily dependent on one author's sort of expanded work. Sure. Because if you're into Lovecraft, and, like, yeah. you're into it. But would you say someone who's into Conan would be? Because Conan's maybe more universal kind of style of writing or action adventure. Yeah, you're right. I guess it is kind of more universal. But even Conan, like. To play a, a, I think it, it it really depends if the the game system is like top down design or not. Like whether whether the flavor has really determined the the mechanics. Mm-hmm. Because Conan, I would expect not. You're just swinging a sword and like you know Fair killing enough. people. Whereas if it were like a Lovecraftian, it's like top down would mean that the game mechanics have a lot to do with like kind of weird, you know, like I don't know, mental horror like. <laughs> investigation <laughs> monsters that like don't really maybe exist uh-huh. or you know I, I, I hear what you're you saying know what I mean? and, and if you're not really familiar or not in love with that setting then yeah. it might turn you off the game because it's so mechanically tied to the, the system interesting oh speaking of mechanics just quickly uh, I want to run back to Deadlands because uh, if you're a magician in that you actually uh, you you cast dice and then you draw a certain amount of cards and you're trying to make the best possible poker hand and that's oh. how successful your spell is. That's kind of cool. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, I have one left and then we'll talk about uh, what Harry's been up to. Um, Night witches. Hear to this? Mm-mm. So this is actual real life. It's <laughs> so when you're hungry in the middle of the night, you go and make a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> real life historical um, role playing. So uh, back in World War II, the Russians had a group of women in their um, in their air force, which they didn't really care much for. So they gave them world they gave them World War One planes, like old biplanes, and said, "Go to it, fight the Nazis," <laughs> <laughs> and that's what you play as. And basically, uh, I guess they were really successful because they would shut down their engines of these little biplanes, and they would sneaky physically Whoa. grab. And throw bombs out of their plane. <laughs> and then when they ran out of bombs, they would get railroad spikes and whip them. And so they were terrifying. And uh, I guess, I don't know if, how much that's hype, but it sounds like they were uh, uh, pretty scary to the Nazis. 
And so you go on and you, you have this combination of daytime and nighttime uh, role playing where in the daytime you're trying to get all your resources in a row and dealing with management and everything like that. And then at night you make the runs to mission targets. And apparently it's really hard, but a lot of fun. So this is a different take than what we've been talking about, because in this case it sounds more like, um, I don't want to say a war game or something, but maybe not as much heavy on the uh, role-playing. Well, and... it's no fantasy, right? Yeah. It's a... mm, yeah, like historical fiction, kind yeah. of. A little bit. Like yeah. rooted in history. This one's an oddity, Joel. I don't know about it. Was it's, that on those lists? <laughs> it's weird, but it looks it looks pretty good. I would okay. definitely play it. Cool. All right. And that's it for me. Harry, uh, I know there's, there's, Burning Wheel. <laughs> yeah, there's one yeah. that's very dear to you. I, I mean, I, I might talk about Burning Wheel last. I have a couple kind of quick fire games sure. that are really fun. Uh, Goblin Quest. Um, I actually don't know when this game was released. It's small. It, it comes in a very tiny book. It costs like 15 bucks if you want to buy it. I think you can get digital editions online. Hmm. You play as five goblins, and you live in this world where there's like orcs and like witches and stuff. Um, <clears throat> but you don't die to orcs and witches necessarily. You die like carrying things your goblins are very inept <laughs> and the whole game is you just find out how your goblins die they die horribly and you pay five you play five goblins in succession and they just like die like making soup and stuff so you're trying to keep your is the person who keeps his goblins alive is the winner of this game or what's the what's the game here i guess it's like a it's about kind of the journey i mean a lot of the games that i play are not necessarily objective based they're more just like finding out what happens huh. uh, and i think goblin quest is in that vein um but yeah would recommend 2014 Goblin Quest is a tabletop role-playing game about slapstick violence, fatal ineptitude. I love that phrase, and the greatest adventure of your life. Yeah, it's well, hilarious. That's like your opinion, man. <laughs> Interesting. Oh. Um, another one to recommend: Microscope. This one is kind of outside of games, but like we were saying, if you're playing kind of like more of an engine game where you can impose a setting onto it, um, Microscope is like a sub-game that you would play. It's available, I think, only online. Um, the webpage, let's just say right away, it doesn't. everything we've looked at has been fairly bright and cheery. Built this in totally. 1993. <laughs> but I think that it, it was the finalist for some Golden Geek RPG oh, awards, which was pretty it. cool. Um, but yeah, you in Microscope, you play this before you do your role-playing game, and everyone who's involved in the game will sit down. It's a game, so there are rules, and mm-hmm. you turn by turn, you will define the setting that the game's going to take place in. So mm. you will, you can impose restrictions. You'll say, like, okay, no dragons. I think dragons are dumb. And then, like, the next person will go, okay, well, I think there's an event. And the event is, like, the creation of the world by a singular, like, god. Yeah. And then some other person will say, okay, but at the same time they created elves. And the other person's like, no, I hate dwarves. Dwarves. No dwarves allowed. Yeah. And then you kind of you kind of take turns and you just define a setting together. Down. And then you, that's just setting up the, the setting. And then you still have to, like, make characters and you have, still have to play the role-playing game of your choice within that setting. So you pick any, so anything we've just talked about, you could play Microscope before that just to establish some sort of, it's kind of like, um, I don't know, like you, you give yourself arbitrary sort of limits or story beats that have to function in this world. Totally, yeah. And you, you end up setting together, you end up setting up this timeline with, like, kind of a beginning and the end. And the beginning and the end could be, like, the beginning and the end of the universe. Yeah. Or... Or just like the the beginning and the end of like an era or a technological era. Sure. Or a and with, day. within that era, you have a bunch of events and you, you set up kind of this timeline. You set up things that exist, things that happened. And then once you're done, you reference it and you say, okay, let's play our game here. Okay. Chronologically. Wow. And, then, and then based on that, you can like create a map if you want to. You create characters and then you play the game of your choice kind of within that 
setting and then you reference it the whole game because it's like that's kind of cool. here's all this here's all the his, this historical stuff to call back on all right like, i'm gonna interrupt you here we're running out of time i want you to talk about wagon wheel burning wheel <laughs> i would say wagon, <laughs> wheel. wagon wheel burning wheel published um by i think the burning wheel company it's great it's super free form the rule book that said the rule book is like 750 pages it's huge <laughs> super free form. but it basically just gives you the tools to play any kind of like historical fiction or f- like high fantasy setting you want and it's got mm. everything cannot recommend it highly enough it's not particularly combat focused it can if you want it to can be if you want it to be and uh, you just got it just a does copy, everything right and I just got a copy. I've been oh, playing nice. it like every week for years and twice a week for some That's amount of crazy. years. I oh cannot recommend it highly enough. So what but what is it about that grabs you? So um, the biggest thing is the character creation. Got to mention, it's called character burning. The way it works is the game provides a bunch of settings like city, village, you know, army, et cetera, et cetera. You are born in one of those settings. Then once you are born, let's say in the city, you have a bunch of things you can do as a youngster. And you gain skills according to what you've done. Like you can be like a, you know, messenger boy or something and you get good at like running and like delivering messages. And if you were a messenger boy, that allows you to go to the army and become a herald. Mm. And then you kind of build a character up until you're like 35 and all of your skills are based on the life, life paths that you, that you've lived. Hmm. And that's where you begin. And that's where you begin. So you do like a, like a, how long do you think it takes to get to that point? Yeah, like I don't angry, know, like 30 minutes. It's pretty 30 quick. Minutes. Yeah, oh. very good. 30 minutes to get to age 35? Yeah. It's pretty good. <laughs> All right, cool. We'll definitely need to talk about Burning Wheel in more, greater detail in the future because yeah. we always talk about it. I'm always fascinated by it, and I don't understand anything that happens in it whatsoever. <laughs> it's, I think it is like it's so freeform, and it's like jazz, man. It's just got everything you want. <laughs> All like right, jazz. Well, excellent. Hopefully, uh, we get all we all get a chance to play some of these games in the future. But until then, keep listening to CFRU. I'm Jack. I'm Joel. And I'm your guest, Harry. Thank you for listening. Support the station. Goodbye. <laughs>